So our conversation uh, returns to this topic of authority. And this uh, topic is one that uh, makes us shudder a little bit when you hear that word as we kind of launched into this conversation. When you think of authority, sometimes it's not as pleasant as, you know, marshmallows, butterflies, and, you know, macrame and all those things. But it is a beautiful word. For example, last week we saw the authority of Christ being able to forgive, and we need that authority. Today we turn our attention to creation. We've sung about it and, and seen how we are really joining in creation as it worships God, which is a phenomenon. It really is beyond our human understanding. And in the Bible, there are many different angles of what happened in that creation story. Sometimes, of course, we turn to the book of Genesis, as we will, but you also see different angles in books like the book of Job, in the book of Psalms, in the book of John, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Colossians. We get different glimpses uh, of what happened in, in creation. If you don't know the Bible at all, and none of those words meant any, anything to you, what I've done is just scan, really, through different places of the Bible. In other words, at the core, there, the creation story is not just limited to the first few pages of the Bible. And we learn something, not only about creation, but we learn a lot about God and the way that he made it. So when I was looking, reviewing the, the creation story, I was reminded about being a parent this week. And so if you're a parent, you know that your your question asking is just the norm. So, you know, Dad, will you let me go outside and play? Will you let me stay up late? Will you let me stay up later? Will you let me stay up until the sun comes up the next morning? Will you let me have another uh, chunk of ice cream, another ice cream sandwich? Will you let me, will you let me, or will you let me? And the reason they ask that question, kids ask parents that question, is because we have the authority to say yes or no. They're asking for permission for us to grant them access or, or you know, the ability to go outside or whatever that is. When you see the creation story, it's a story of permission. So you might remember that when God, when he began, he said, let there be light. I'm allowing that to happen because I am the author of creation. You might notice that in the word authority is the word author, because the author has the authority to do what he or she pleases, whoever that may be, mom, dad, or God. And so God comes along and he says, I'm allowing there to be light, because I am the author with the authority to say yes or no. It's almost as if God is holding the light back, and then in that moment of time, he says, I let it go. And then he says, let the seas teem with living creatures. It's almost like he's holding in the back. And he says, now it's time for the seas to flow. It's such an amazing, I mean, if we could have been standing there in the moment and standing beside God when he would say, let it go now. Let the land produce, allow the land to produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants that, that create other seed-bearing plants. It's just this kind of this explosion, but almost as if God is waiting to give permission because he has the authority. So we learn something about God from the very opening pages of the Scripture. Now watch this. We turn to the book of Job in Job 38. If you don't know the book or the story of Job, 
Uh, most people do, even if you don't know the Bible, that the bottom dropped out of his life. Things just uh, became a, a, a chaotic and a calamity. Everybody had their perception of who God was and their opinions and whatnot. And of course, God shows up at the end of the story with a series of profound questions. In these questions, in this series of questions, we find out once again who God is. And we find out his authority, some fascinating, fascinating uh, moments here in the book of Job. So, for example, in Job chapter 38 and verse 22, God asks this question of Job, have you ever entered the storehouses of the snow as if God has a reservoir of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? Sometimes in this, the narrative of the Old Testament, God pelted people with hail. There was kind of a, almost a heavenly artillery. Do you know where the storehouses of hail are, which I reserve, I hold back for times of trouble, for the days of war and battle? Isn't it fascinating that there's this storehouse that God has and it's, he's, he, he's holding about? He reserves it until he says, I let it go. I make it happen because he has authority. In Job chapter 38, verse 8, he talks about the seas. Who shut up, reserved, hold back, held back the sea behind doors when it bursts forth from the womb? It's a picture of almost like a backstage picture of creation that things were being held back until the author said, I give them permission now to move. Job chapter 38, verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning. Only the author can do that. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? The actual word, the original word of authority means the official right. As a, as a parent, I have the official right to allow my kids to stay inside, to go outside, stay up late, and all that. All that. So the creation story is this. That God, when he created living beings, he said, I'm giving permission for them to, to, to be unleashed. And then we look at ourselves and we learn about who we are in the light of a great author and the great creator. Here's what I mean. All of us have a birthday. All of us have a day when we were physically born into this, into this world. But at the, at the intersection of faith in, in God, there is this other birthday. Christ talks about being born a second time. This has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with agreeing to a set of tenets of a, of a particular faith. It's not an intellectual agreement, in other words. It is a supernatural coming of life. If you say to a person, you're dead, or you're dead to me, it's an offensive thing to say. But Christ tells us that we are actually, before we have this exchange of life with Christ, we're dead on the inside, even though we may be alive on the outside. It's not an offensive thing. It's just a descriptive reality. Because death means separation. And we're separated from God because of this, this sinful nature that we have, that everybody has, and there's this separation. It's called death. It says death separates. And yet God comes to us, and he says, just like the author of all physical things, he's also the author of the inner life that we have, the spiritual life that, comes, that makes us come alive in our spirit. 
It's listed in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Well, you think, well, I was already alive. Well, you were alive biologically. You were alive physically. But made us alive spiritually with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. There's something of great phenomena. I'm going to back up uh, 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 to Psalm 148. There's something of great phenomena that is listed in creation, Psalm 148. I want you to take a look. One, Psalm 148 begins this way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Now, if you're reading this, you're tracking along like, yep, I'm tracking with that. In other words, there are heavenly beings, angels, and, and other heavenly beings that are praising God. Verse 2, praise him, all angels, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. We're, tr- we're tracking right along. And something of great phenomena is listed here. Praise him, sun and moon. Now, wait a minute. Are you saying that the Bible says that the sun and the moon are worshiping God? Exactly. You see, some people worship the sun and moon, but the author of the sun and moon is the one to be worshiped. So as we were singing today and worshiping today, We are worshiping in conjunction with heavenly beings who are eternally worshiping God, but we are also worshiping as created beings, those who have been created not only physically, but we've been brought alive spiritually. We are in worship in conjunction with all of creation. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because he commanded and they were created. You see, here's the the moment. The moment when we recognize and, and embrace the fact that there is an author of all living things is the moment that we have the opportunity to pursue him. Let me repeat that. The moment that we recognize that there is an author to all of life is the moment that we have the opportunity to pursue him. What do I mean by that? If we only believe that this is a scientific phenomenon, that by some reason of a big bang uh, uh, that happened, some cataclysmic event, or there was some spore that came out, that just, when, you, when you talk to people that, have the, that believe in the spore theory, it's always interesting to know where the spore came from, but there's a spore that, that, that came and then, you know, created and then evolution then, you know, kind of filtered out from that. If you only believe that this is only a scientific, uh, biological uh, uh, phenomena, this whole thing we call life, and there is no author, then your, your likelihood of pursuing that being is very low. It is a moment in time that is that is instrumental in our search of God. So when our kids were little, we'd go out to the mailbox together, and I'd carry them in my arms. And all I was doing was planting the seeds that this didn't come from anywhere. And so we'd go out and we'd check the mail, and every single day, because we'd take turns, sometimes I'd slip the same mail in back in the mailbox, you know, because I have two sons. And they're going to fight with who you know, goes to the dad. So you have to do it in different times. And you just put stuff in there. And so, uh, 
Whatever. You're a bad parent too. So that's what. <laughs> and I'd carry him in my arms, and we'd go out to the mailbox, and we'd look up to the sky. And every single day of their young childhood, I would say, look what God has made. I wanted them to know that the school books who want to leave out the author were not on target. Out of respect, I say that. But there was an author, and, and there, he was an author to be pursued. And so when we recognize that, then the next step comes in our life that not only that we recognize that there's an author, but we recognize that we want authority personally in our lives, and that's the moment of great change. There may be people that right here uh, together may be looking for God and spirituality, and you can't define that, and thank God that somewhere in your, your history you've known that there's an author. That is a beautiful thing. The next step is then to bow our knee to that author and say, God, I don't want you just to be an author. I want you to have the beauty of authority in my life. And then you become in control of my life. I'm sliding across the table my old life, my, my broken life, my life that needs healing and forgiveness and all of those things. And I want you to have the authority in my life and become Lord of my life. And it is the most instrumental, the most pivotal, the most monumental intersection in your life. That's why we had two people baptized this morning. It's at that moment where they say, God, you be Lord and not me. And so now we come to what is uh, commonly known as the Great Commission. I'm going to refer to it this morning as the Great Assignment. It is the authority of discipleship. Now, if you've been around 360 any, any amount of time, you know we talk a lot about discipleship. But there is a, a beauty that is found in what I'm going to call the great assignment. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there with me. We're going to kind of hover there, Matthew 28. If you have a device you want to, with a Bible program, you can turn there as well. It's interesting for those that know the great commission or the great assignment. If you say, what's the great commission? They'll automatically go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them the things I command. They'll go right into it. But there's a statement that comes before the great assignment. And before that opening statement, there's something that happens that tells us why Christ gave the great assignment. So the context of this great assignment is really important, okay? Here's what I mean. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Christ is now risen from the dead. He is back. He's meeting with some. He's told his disciples, I want you to go to this particular location. I want you to go... To, to, uh, to a mountain in Galilee. In Matthew 28, verse 16, then the 11 disciples, Judas had already uh, uh, you know, taken his own track, uh, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told him to go. This is fascinating. His disciples, when they saw him, some bowed to his authority. Some worshiped him. Others, however, Doubt it. When you look at this story, kind of first instinct, well, there were some that were right and there were some that were wrong. I don't look at it that way. I would say that some of them 
understood and some of them didn't yet. This is part of spiritual life. Part of spiritual life is that, that God reveals and gives opportunities for us to see things. And some people see it now. Some people see it later. Some people see it really later. And if there is a pursuit, which these guys were pursuing Christ, there is this opportunity to say, wow, some people understand that God is the author and we bow our knee and others haven't arrived there yet. And now in the context of that, Jesus said, let me give you the great assignment. The assignment comes in the context of some people got it and some people don't. And because of that, God said, let me tell you how we're going to bring the people that don't quite get it, how we're going to bring them closer, and how we're going to show who I am. I just find that ah, stunning, personally. So Jesus then begins with the great assignment. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. He doesn't say go first. Jesus said, came to them and he said this, all authority... I am the author, and the author of the new life inside of you. As he would speak to a tree and say, I've created you, I've given you the capacity to make other trees, Jesus looks at us as new living spiritual beings and saying, I've given you the capacity to make more of yourself. That's, that's the, the great uh, assignment. All authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. For that reason, therefore... For that reason, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And if you do that thing, then those who have not recognized the author yet or bowed their knee will have a shot if you do the great assignment. If you don't do the great assignment, there's still a shot. We heard a story today. That is not, uh, it is not sci-fi. It's a reality of someone saying, hey, God speaks sometimes in dreams. But in our culture, I, Christ understood that people are often convinced by people. It takes discipleship. It takes this investment in another person's life for people to begin to, to see God. There are two things that happen I want to point out in this powerful assignment, this great assignment from Christ and how it's linked to creation. Because when God created trees, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a kind of a weird question. When God created trees, did he create trees that were already ancient? Did he create an oak tree that was already 500 years old? Did he create, I mean, he could do anything he wanted, you know, purple elephant if God wanted to create it, but did he create in such a way that there was more room to grow? Or did he create it that nothing had to be done, didn't need water, it was, is, it was as it always was and always would be? I say no, because you know what, you know what they call plants that are, uh, that are always the same? that don't need watering, artificial. <laughs> it is my favorite kind of plant, by the way. I do not know why I keep trying to grow stuff. So I'm just thinking about gutting my entire patio and putting all plastic. <laughs> if it fades, 
Don't really care. So God didn't create artificial things, but he created things that would progress. He created things that would grow. He created things that would produce and reproduce. And when they did that thing, people were like, wow, this is not just artificial. This is real. And there's something, someone behind all of these things are growing. So when he gives us the great assignment, there's a couple of things that happen in discipleship to say, hey, man, there's my friend John. He's not like he was 10 years ago. There's Steve. I'm not like I was eight years ago. Why? Because there's an author behind it making things happen. So there's two things that happen in discipleship. Here's the first thing. Things become more complete. The picture that we're trying to paint to the world becomes more complete. There is this obvious value in completion that we find in the Bible. Watch this. I'm just going to give you a quick bullet point. John 15, 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, you know what? Um, you, you gotta, we got to be in rhythm. If you you got to be in rhythm. you can. You got to be in the Word. You have to have this rhythm. He says, he says these words, John 15, 11. I've told you these things. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. James chapter 1 talks about hanging in there. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. In other words, there's a value that perseverance, the things that happen in our life that are difficult, there's a goal of that, that you might become complete. Colossians chapter 1, 28. It is Christ whom we pro- proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. Why? So that at the end of time, we may present everyone mature, complete, uh, 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 not just unfinished to Christ. There are other scripture verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speak the truth in love so that in all things, a completion, we might grow up into. So here's the point. What if we remain just by ourselves? We came to Christ. We read our Bible. We watched a TV show. We 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 made this exchange of life, and then we just remain by ourselves. Most likely, we're going to remain incomplete because when we get close enough to other people and invest in them, what happens is that we begin to speak into each other's lives, and all of a sudden, those areas that really needed growth, those areas that need clip, 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 you know, pruning, and then all of a sudden things begin to fill out, then we begin to paint a picture of who God is. What if I remain the same? The first day that I come to Christ, exchange my life for Christ's life, and 10 years later, I look exactly the same. What does the world around me say? Must not be real. Must be artificial. You see? I propose to you that one of the greatest opportunities that we have to make that possible, that we begin to create a a fuller picture of who Jesus is in our life, is this big fat word called discipleship, investment, person to person, whatever. I talked to so many people, had a great conversation with a couple over the weekend. I said, tell me a little bit about your spiritual life. Well, there was this guy. How many times do I hear this story? Well, there was this guy. And uh, man, he just, he, he, for whatever reason, 
He gave me attention. He invested in my life. And it was the thing. I've heard this story literally hundreds of times that someone would go across the world to go to Cambodia, invest in the same person over and over and over, and now they're growing and have grown and have now become a more complete picture of who Christ is in their life because we are being transformed and conformed into the image of God, and we just can't do that alone. Does that make sense? Let me give you two this way. So I go to the gym. Big surprise, I know. And uh, when I went to this gym, I got, a, I got a membership to this gym. I go to LA Fitness. Why? Because they've got an amazing snack bar. Just kidding. I go into the gym, and uh, my first time, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Um, so my question is this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw an elephant in the room topic out in, in, in the room, because I'm asked this all the time. As many of you know, we have some discipleship tools here that we use. We found them very helpful. But the question is, do you have to have tools in order to disciple somebody? Yes. What's your next question? No, I'm just kidding. That's, that, that, it, is not, it is not absolutely necessary to have <clears throat> books or tools or apps or any of those things to invest in somebody else. That's not the point. Can I work out at home and get a good workout? Yes, I, I most likely could. I could do push-ups. Uh, I could do leg squats. I could do, um, that's a repertoire I have. That right there, push-ups and leg squats. But there's something about, so I'm, I want to be very, very clear that I'm looking around the room. I know there, there are people like, man, you've done an amazing job in investing in others with not a single tool. You know what I got to say about that? Way to go. That is fabulous, fantastic, amazing. Some people can just naturally invest. But there are other people, a lot of other people, like, man, I don't know how, I'm not quite sure how to, to do it. Therefore, some people use tools and that it really helps them out. We've got 160 people in one-to-one -one discipleship because we said, hey, here are some tools to, to make that happen. What's my point? I walked in the gym first, first time. I'm like, wow, I don't know what to use here, what, what piece of equipment to use. So I call my friend Mark, who's built like a steel tank. And I mean, I'm like, certainly he's been to the gym before. I'm like, hey, he, I'd like to look like that. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> Still working on it. So I, I'm like, hey, Mark, would you go to the gym with me? Because I'm overwhelmed at what to do. This is, this is the, the power of having somebody in your life. So we went and, you know, we go to the bench, you know, and doing pretty good. And then he says, hey, Steve, you have to put weights on the end of them. I'm like, well, dang it, I did 100. I was feeling, you know. But then he began to show me the equipment, and he showed me, here's where I'm going. If you've ever seen the, the, the equipment, they showed me these little diagrams. Have you seen them? If you've ever used, you guys work out? Anybody in the gym? <laughs> There's a little diagram there, and it will show in red what part of your body is going to hurt tomorrow, <laughs> as if we need to be told. 
what part of your body this particular machine works on. So the cool thing about it is that he shows me, like, oh, go over here. This is going to be your uh, pecs. <laughs> I know you're impressed. And uh, he's going to show you your glutes. Just kidding. <laughs> and it's gonna, this is going to show you a picture, and it's the, the instruments, the equipment that helps us to be complete. So for some men, they can do that naturally. You can work out at home. You've got all different kind of calisthenics and everything. But for most people, we need the picture and the equipment. Why? So that, we, so that in our lives, there are things in our lives that are like, let's work on that part because it's a weak muscle. There's this little part back here called the tricep. Uh, and then you're like, man, I, I think it's fine. It looks fine. you know. So then, then you do a tricep muscle and you think, wow, I'm really stretching that part. And if we don't have somebody with this, probably what we'll do is just do biceps maybe the rest of our life. And then someone says, hey, do you, I see something in you, maybe that muscle. And the point is that more, the more people that point that out, the more we become complete, the more we look like Christ, the more we look like our author, and the world has a shot at seeing who God is. See how it works. This is the power of discipleship. That's why Jesus said when he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, he says these words, I have worshiped you. I have acknowledged your, your authority. I have brought you glory on earth. How? By completing the work, the assignment that you gave me to do. Finally, the, the target of any farmer is produce. Nobody ever, no farmer ever plants a corn stalk just for the beauty of a corn stalk. They plant the corn stalk in hopes that something will be produced. What is produced then becomes the treasure of the target of the farmer. Make sense? So when God created trees, it wasn't just to create trees, it would create trees that bore fruit because other people get to enjoy the produce of those trees. When we have discipleship and we're willing to be able to get close to one another and invest in one another, ever how God leads you to do that, when you're investing one another, there's something that be that's beautiful that happens. We begin to produce fruit that is not from human effort. So Jesus gives us this assignment. In John chapter 15, verse 16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And then he goes on to say in John 15, verse 8, he said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. You see, remember Jesus said, Father, I've given you glory by completing the work, one completion. And then Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So back in Daytona, where we used to live, my wife and I had a house built. And, uh, and it came time to choose the landscaping. I never had done that before. Let's just say I went overboard. Because what I, what I had forgotten is that, um, the, uh, you know, uh, there's a famous poet, I forget who it was, who said, you know the problem with kittens is they grow up to be cats. That's the problem. You know the problem with those cute little bushes that you put in? 
they grow up. And so when you're planting and you're an idiot like me and you don't know what you're doing, then you, you put those little cute little bushes only two inches from each other. And then you put a lot. And then we put in those uh, bushes that they kind of bloom out like this with a gajillion little um, uh, purple uh, flowers. I forget what they're called. Um, but they look like, at any rate, you know, they attract bees, honeybees. So all the way from my driveway, I put them, it was a long walk to my front door, all of these honeybee attracting. So literally, when we went to our house, like, okay, you ready? Yeah. You got all your stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not opening the door until you open the door. Okay? Got it. All right. Here we go. You ready? On three. Ready? You ready, right? Okay. One, two. Let's go. We're like going through hives of bees. Because the place had grown from this really cool thing with these little neat, cute bushes to, let's say, well, the word would be jungle. We had created a jungle. And it was out of control. And it didn't, it didn't even look beautiful anymore. So you know what we had to do? Clip, clip, clip. A lot of grooming. And then it looked beautiful. And then it began to produce more flowers. This is the power of getting close to each other. We're so often so afraid in the big church, and appropriately so. It's socially out of, out of place to say, hey, let me just share with you my darkest secrets. Most of you are like, dude, that was a little bit too much right here. <laughs> and then we get into a group, and we might say, yeah, that's, that's, it's still a little bit too much right here. But when we're sitting at a table with two or maybe three trusted friends, and we can say, I've got this humongous, wild, crazy, growing weed. And then someone says, I love you enough that let's start clipping together. And then produce comes. And when produce comes, everybody knows it's not us because it's us. They begin to see the fruit of God. And when you see the fruit of God, you get to see the author of all of life. And then people have got a shot from those who worship and those who doubt it. And those who doubt it said, hey, wait a minute. There is an author going on in your life. And it comes from getting close. Make sense? Discipleship, listen, isn't a program. It is the assignment of Christ for those who still doubt it. That's the power. We're going to end today with a film, just a three-minute film, a testimony from a guy in the Dominican Republic. They started The Great Assignment a few years ago, and like we're seeing in Cambodia, where now it's coming full circle. Are you ready? They're on their fifth and sixth generation. Trees that have made trees, that have made trees, that have made trees, and it is an orchid, an orchard. An orchid? No, an orchard. <laughs> it's a grove. I'll keep the one-syllable words. It's a grove <laughs> of new life. So I want you to hear this story of a man whose home life was treacherous. And I want you to think, he uses, when he's pronouncing the word God, by the way, he says gad. And so when I heard it, it took a few times for me to to, to understand what he's saying, so I want you to understand. It's the only reason I'm saying that. But I want you to picture what people thought of this, this father in this home, and if they saw God, 
but what they see in the end of the story. Okay, let's take a look. I am Pastor David Maldonado, located in Villa Tropicalia of Santo Domingo East. The discipleship process with Abby and Love Serve has been a great blessing. As soon as we embrace uh, the project, we have seen the glory of God in our church. It has been a wonderful experience. Uh, to be honest, it's too good to be true. At this moment, we have five generations in our discipleship process. And counting Gustavo, my mentor and coach, we have six generations. The advance is very obvious. Each of the disciple maker, make, makers are passing the vision to others. In the process, we have a wonderful testimonies. One of these testimonies is about one man who became a Christian as soon as he became a new believer, we share the book First Step. As soon as he finished First Step, we introduced him to the book Zero of a Change, taking the advantage that he was a new believer. And in one of the lessons of a change, we talk about relationship. At that moment, he opened up to confess part of his personal and family life. God is a relational God and wants us to also be relational. When he was confronted with this experience, he started to feel that experience and confess that his family never experienced a relationship like the one God wants us to. That is how I began to know in details that his family was going through a very big crisis. He was separated from his wife, but were under the same roof. He shared some of the reasons why the relationship as a couple was so bad. The situation became difficult among themselves because he was very hard with his wife as well as his children, he turned this relationship very, very, very difficult. His kid became to call him a dictator. Uh, thanks to the discipleship that I was developing with him, he began to understand how bad he was doing with his wife and children. He confessed that uh, he was going to be asking for forgiveness to them. And I know that God, by his love and mercy, is transforming life for his glory like he did with his family. So I kind of, I, I, I end with a question today. What does this man look like to his children now? What does this man look like to his wife now? Here's the answer. He looks like the author. That is the goal of discipleship. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this assignment, God, that you've given to us. And you've given it to us not to be a labor, not to be uh, a program, but it's couched in this moment where some are bowing their knee and understanding that you are the author. And side by side with them, there are those that don't quite see it yet. So you've told us, God, that we are now to go and invest in one another, something that's difficult to do on a Sunday morning, impossible, and to go outside that arena and walk with someone, invest in someone, listen to someone over a period of time where both people get to prune and clip and produce fruit and become complete and have a more clearer defined picture of Christ and their lives. And by that picture, God, people around us understand that it wasn't by great effort, human effort, that these changes take place, but only by bowing to the author, you, God. And so, Father, this assignment, like everything else, spoken, every syllable from Christ has great purpose. Ever how we do it, ever how we approach it, Father, no one is exempt. Because we are all carriers of Christ and the new life in us. And therefore, like every other living thing, we were created to make more of ourselves. I pray, Father, for those who are searching for you, maybe even in a chapter of tension and conflict. And it is a good chapter, God, because this is often the chapter where you are found. I pray, God, today for those who have recognized that you are the author of all life, but perhaps have never come to that intersection in their life where they bow God, to the author, submit to you, God, give up on driving their own life and surrender. And in that moment of surrender, God could find the beauty of and profound mystery of new spiritual life inside. Perhaps that's you today as we're in this mode of prayer. Perhaps you, you come and you can't even define yet what you're looking for. And I propose to you that it's a who, not a what. You're looking for God. How do I know? Because God has created you to find him, to have a relationship with him. And maybe you've been looking for him for a year, a month, a week, but I promise you that God has been looking for you longer than you've been looking for him. He stands eager to embrace you, so eager that he sent the treasure of his heart, his son, to lay a life down, his life down on the cross so that there would be a path between you and God 
because all your sins, those things that separate you, that the Bible refers to as being dead and trans trespasses, dead and sins separated from God, by embracing Christ, you can now have a living relationship with God as you come to him and you slide across the table your life just as it is, broken, fractured, mistakes, all of it. And what you'll find will be surprising, a forgiving God, a compassionate God, ready to ignite new life. Is today the day for you? Is this the moment, the moment for you? Is this the intersection for you? We're like many others in this room would say in your own raw heart language to God's heart. God, I need you. I want you. I want new life inside of me. Christ came. He forgave me on the cross through, the, through this blood. God, I'm asking you to take my life just as it is and in exchange for that God, would you bring about new life as the author of this whole life experience, this universe, God, would you bring new life in on the inside of me? Father, thank you for being so faithful. Thank you, God, for being so compassionate. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being entrusted with such an important assignment. We go through our lives, all of us are busy, got so many layers, God. But at the very core of our existence, our purpose is to show others who you are. And so, Father, in this moment, we bow to that assignment, to you through that assignment and say yes. Once again, we say yes, God. Who do you want me to invest in? And who needs to invest in me? Father, we, we so appreciate you as the giver and author of life. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.